This week's episode of Silly Talks About Science Fiction is brought to you by an 8-track version of Baby Can You Dig Your Man that you found in your grandma's panty drawer. Baby, Baby Can, can you, you Dig, dig Your man. man. Hi, I'm Jeff Gritman. And I'm Kristen Kist with a cold. Yes, yes, Kristen has some Captain Trips today. I do, so I have a nice deep voice for everyone out there that's into like Kathleen Turner <laughs> or transvestites. I don't know, take your pick. <laughs> So we're the, we are the co-authors of a silly science fiction book series called Prison Dad, Dad starring the illustrious Leslie Jim Gum. Prison Dad is a five-book comedic sci-fi <laughs> comedy series about a bunch of friends that live in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Check it out, prisondad.com. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. So this week we're here to talk about um, my favorite book. Is it your favorite book? I don't know it's if it's one your favorite of my book. favorite It's one of your favorite books. books. Yeah. It's one of my favorite books. Um... Definitely my favorite TV movie ever made. Yes. Um, you know. And by my favorite author. Yeah. He is my favorite. And we're going to talk about Stephen King's The Stand. Now, yes. we want to kind of talk about it for people who haven't seen it. Uh, we're going to assume that most people have seen it or have read it. Right. Uh, we're going to probably do the first, like, 20 minutes spoiler free. But let's face it. It's a fight between good and evil. Right. <laughs> so <True. laughs> you can just kind of figure out who wins in the end. Yes. We're not going to say but, anything. You else. know, unlike Dean Koontz books, it's a little bit less obvious. <laughs> so um, we're going to go through some of the history of the of the book, and we're going to go through the history of the how the movie was made. We're going to go into some details about the the movie uh, when it came out, what it, how long it is, uh, the cast, the phenomenal cast. Break down each part of the movie compared to the book. And then we're going to go through the third part of the podcast. We'll cover... Dumb ideas to remake it. Five, almost <laughs> six years worth of reboot. Um, rumors and yeah, foil, foiled attempts at rebooting The Stand. Um, you know, making another movie of it. Trying to make a single solitary movie out of out of it which is completely ridiculous trying to make an album of covers of baby can you dig your man just kidding no one's ever attempted that <laughs> okay so weird let's let's start off here uh so the brief overview of the book so spoiler free i would say that you know what we're what we're dealing with here is there is um a super flu that gets released right into government created right yeah government bug that accidentally gets out by a man who, you know, you learn the first couple pages, you know, a man just trying to save his family, really. Right. And in the process, he ends up driving across half the country, everywhere he stopped, every, you know, every takeout place, every gas station, you can consider everything infected by this, this, this super flu, they call it. Yes. Captain Trips, uh, it's got a bunch of different names. Yeah, and it basically is just song. the flu. It's not a zombie thing. Which is what I have right now. You don't so, have the flu. I do have the flu. You have the flu? Yeah. Really? I don't want the flu. Do you? I don't know how to help you with that. <laughs> I'm gonna, like sit up in my bed in the middle of the night and be like, Larry! Larry! <laughs> so the original book came out in that, 1978. That was a theatrical call. Yes, I know. Oh, that, was a, that wasn't real. No. Yeah. I wasn't going to cut you out because I knew yeah. that, that was yeah. fake. Yeah. So the book came out in 78. Yeah, that's when I, the year I was born. It was the year Whoa, you were born. Oh, spoiler alert, I'm old. <laughs> I was born the year after that. I know, Jeff likes to point out that he's younger than me all the time. He's, like, very proud of it. I'm not, like, super proud of it. I was just stating a point that... Mm-hmm. Would you like me to point it out more? <laughs> no. I'm perfectly comfortable with my age. Now, I've never read the version that came out in 1978. I don't think I have either. I've only read the version that came out in 1990. And what happened here was Stephen King took any references to the 70s and the 80s, and he made it... Um, so it's the book is taking place in 1990, pretty much. Interesting. Right, um, and there's about 350 extra pages in that version. So I know, like, I went and I checked, like, the book I have. So my book is the 1990 like version. Hmm. Gosh, I read it so long ago. I have to go back and double check. I used to read it like every couple years, like go back and read it again. Yeah, I like I have an issue where I have to wait a really long time between reading a book because I remember too much of it. Like, yeah, it's the one thing that sort of sticks in my head. Yeah, but I'll probably read the reread the stand. There was I a really period of read Duma Key too, but um, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah that was there was a period of time in my life where I only read like five authors. 
And now, especially from going to cons and stuff like that, like we know so many people and there's so many books and I, I have a kid and a podcast and I write a book series and I only have so much time. I still read like a crazy person. But you have that 45 minute commute one way. Yes. So that helps. I don't, I don't have that. Yeah. I'm going to have it. But, but I mean, I'm not sure everybody thinks that a 45 minute commute is a good thing. <laughs> no, it's not. But you're on the train and it gives you the ability to I read and that's great. Read. Yes. So in the eighties, Stephen King and George Romero were kind of doing this thing where they were going to make a stand movie. Okay. And they were going to do it themselves. Okay. Stephen King was writing the script. Right. He was writing the screenplay, and Romero was going to direct. But it's like it's like a thing, like why authors don't write their own screenplays. Yeah. Because they don't have the ability to machete out some, some, some things. I mean, Stephen King's written a couple things. Like He, re- he wrote part of a creep show, yes. the one that he was in. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it is, it's a challenging, um... What's on with the trucks? Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. You wrote that screenplay. It's a challenging thing to do, to, like, take something that you wrote and then try to remake it for, you know, Hollywood purposes. That's true. Yeah. Because, you know, and then the producers come in and hack it all to crap anyway. Well, yeah, that's, that, that's the big part of it. So, it, basically, what they described here was it, it was stuck in a development hell for about ten years, mm-hmm. and they just... Sh- they just shut it down. Yeah, probably, you know, rewriting and then trying to sell it to somebody. And at that time, you know, Stephen King was probably a relatively young author and, mm-hmm. you know, had some books, but maybe not as many movies as he has now. No. <clears throat> Certainly not. So when the movie came out, I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And I probably... I was 75. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. I probably... Now, you watch a lot more horror movies. We didn't watch a whole lot of horror movies in the Griffin household growing up. My right? father was obsessed with horror yeah, movies. So and my father loves Stephen King. Right. Yeah. So, I think by 94, I think I saw most of it, parts of it. I don't think I saw all of it, like, all the way through. I know I saw Pet Cemetery. We all saw Pet Cemetery yeah. when we were, when we were kids. That's a movie. Um, well, yes. Cujo, probably, mm-hmm. I think. Because um, that was on TV, fairly. Yeah, that, this is why I'm like, the ones that were on TV mm-hmm. are the ones that I, I you know, I, I saw the most. Like, I never saw Needful Things until yeah, I love a couple, Needful like, things. maybe about, I don't know, not even ten years ago. Yeah. And um, a couple other ones like that. Like, I've read Needful Things, you know, around, the, after I read The Stand, when I was maybe like 15, 16, I read The Stand, and then the Needful yeah. Things is the second Stephen King mm-hmm. book I ever read. And then, you know... And so on and so forth with other Stephen King books. So, um, this was interesting. I had a friend, Jason, and he said he recorded The Stand. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I had no idea. We didn't watch much TV, like, right. growing up. Like, we watched, like, Star Trek and, um, you know, it was, yeah, 94, yeah, Star Trek was, was still, that was the year, 94, I think it was the year Star Trek ended, uh, Next Generation ended, um. But, you know, we watched, like, baseball and, and Star Trek, Doctor Who. Like, we, we didn't watch that much TV. We didn't watch, like, sitcoms. Like, all my, my friends were, like, watching sitcoms. And yeah, we totally did that. My friend Jason was like, I, I record the stand. You want to watch it? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was hooked. You know? Like, you know, here are these people, like, dying of this disease. And it was, like, you know, it was, it was modern day and everything. And I was, I, was, I was really, you know, like, blown away. So... Totally. It was awesome. We never finished, like, the synopsis. I just realized. Oh, yeah. You cut me off. (laughs) We don't need to go back. Okay. Or we can can record it later. It's really just, like, an apocalyptic story, essentially. Yes, exactly. It's a super flu. So, like, everybody gets killed by a super flu, and then it's like, who's left and what happens? The good people and the bad people are called by different forces. Right. Yeah. So... That's what you need to know going into this. That's the general gist of it. But so t- what impact did the stand... Because you saw the movie before you read the book. Yes, but I had read Stephen King. Yes, you have read... Yes, I understand before that. I read um, The Stand. Um, right. I'd been reading him for a while, and my dad loved him. The Stand um, was the... F- that was It was my first Stephen King book that I read. Yeah, yeah, Carrie was the first one that I read. Okay, yeah. A couple of years before that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I loved it. I mean, it captured my imagination right off the bat, because it felt like something that really could happen. Right. You know, I mean, we were in a... a you know, I was in my mid-teen years, right? So I was very angsty and always worried about, like, what could happen in the world, We right? grew up in the Cold War. And we grew up in the Cold War, yeah, first of all. And then in the 90s, there was, like, a huge 
emphasis on AIDS knowledge, right? So Jeff and I have joked around before that I felt like most of my life that I was just going to get AIDS because of all the advertising campaigns that came out. Like, it, it seemed to me that it didn't matter what I did. Like, somehow I would just end up with it. Like, even if I had never had sex, like, somehow it, you just would have that. You would just get it. So I always had that kind of fear from, like, all the stuff that was... I mean, I, you know, I lived in New York when I was younger, so obviously they had bigger advertising campaigns in New York because, you know... The gay and minority populations have been unfairly affected by AIDS. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, so there was all of that, and then all the environmental um, issues that were sort of being brought to the forefront politically as well, um, you know, and, and not really trusting the government, which had started in the 60s, a lot of, it, of that unrest, you know, with hippies and things like that. The story kind of fell right in there. So it felt real to me. It felt like something that could happen. Um, and it was really scary and sad, but also hopeful. So it was huge to me and it was a huge bonding, um, bonding moment for my sister and I, um, we both were obsessively watching it and really, really into the characters and the storylines. We had our own like sort of internal jokes that we made around the dinner table and on family trips about the stand. Um, now was it, you know, I can't remember, did it air one, one a week or did it air four days in a row? I I honestly don't remember. That's awful. But I feel like it was stretched out. I feel like it was once a week. I feel like it was stretched like out. Every Sunday, it was like a different right. different part or something, or and, Monday or something like that. And I, my because, dad watched it with us, and you know, my mom watched it. It's you know, it was very scary for all of us and very intense. Like, I don't remember watching it in one. No, not until like much later, because we all taped it. Like everybody, yeah, we taped all had a tape it. of it. Yeah, and then we would watch. The I tape. had a tape of a tape because I had a tape of his tape of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, we, we taped it, and so we would watch it, like, over and over, and then eventually, like, years later, I got the DVD, and I think I sent it to my sister. Um, well, I had I had the double VHS oh, tape yeah, of it. I right. bought it. No one else had that tape, because, like, people always borrowing it from me. And I'd be like, uh, Jay, do you know who has my copy of The Stand? He's like, I think Scotty has it. Yeah, this you know, was, like, like, a thing that happened to people back in the day for all of our young millennial listeners. <laughs> like, you couldn't just go buy DVDs of things, and you couldn't, like, download things on the There was no Best internet. Buy. There was no, like... There was nothing like that. So you had to tape things when they were on, on TV or on the radio. Right. You could, you could sometimes buy cassette tapes if the band released it. But if it was, like, a single, it was hard to get. And if it was, like, a TV show or a movie, like, good luck. Because when I worked at Blockbuster Video, when I was, like, 17, videotapes still cost, like, 100 bucks a pop. At well, the, re- the rental copies. The rental, the rental not, not the for home. The home stuff only really started with Titanic. That was the first movie that they released for purchase at the same time that it was available for rent oh, okay. at, at 20 bucks a pop. At 20 and bucks it a pop. destroyed the whole model of, of right. rental. Well, I... I know, it's so nerdy that I know all this blockbuster I bought the stand... I think I might have been, like, 16. You know, I don't... No, I think I was probably 15 when I bought the VHS, the double VHS of of the stand. I can't remember. I remember I had to jump through some hoops to get it. Yeah. I couldn't just, you know... There was no place to, like, buy videotapes. Right. Like, brand new ones. Like, I, I think I had... I went to... You know what it was? I went to Toons. Oh yeah, tunes. And I made them. I made them special order for me at tunes. It was it tunes or PJ Sounds. Yeah, I think it was tunes. Cause I couldn't ride my bike to PJ Sounds. I did it once, but that's why I think I was, I was like fifteen. Bike to tunes. I think I rode my bike to tunes, placed the order, and then they called me like a month later, and they're like, "We got your stand. You know, we're gonna put it on the shelf. If you don't come get it today, we're gonna sell it." <laughs> and I had to like, like you know pedal my bike down there after school <laughs> yeah there was like an angry like voicemail on like the answering machine when I got home and I like like run out and I'm like riding my bike down to tunes <laughs> all those like shifty streets down, down 19th yep. street there was some like there's like needles and that not on 19th street but there was like the alleyway you took next to 19th street to like um Pretty to avoid all the traffic shifty. so um yeah I had the double v- VHS but Right before I, like, I knew I was going to buy a DVD player, I was in Best Buy with your sister, mm-hmm. and they had the stand on DVD. And I didn't know anything about DVDs, other than, you know, I'm like, okay, well, you know, v- all my VHS copies are warped and broken, I can barely watch Empire right. anymore, like, it's not, like, I need to get, you know, I need to get, like, upgrade to this this new thing that came out, and um, it had a stand DVD, and I didn't know any better. I bought it for $35, it's double-sided, <laughs> um, and it's I still have it 
You're, I That's was awesome. short ten dollars, and I had to, or I was short like five or ten dollars, and I had to borrow from borrow from your sister. And then I she remember. never stopped sassing you about it because it was like later that night, and I still didn't like go to like an ATM <laughs> machine to get cash out. She she still like asked me for. Actually, I think it was two dollars. I think she kept saying to me two dollars. Yeah, I was two dollars short. She kept. Better That's off, Caitlin. better off dead. Yeah, yeah, better off dead. And she yeah, kept like, she, she kept like, saying it to me, and I'm like, like I'm like, I haven't. Where did you get two dollars? So that was like, you know, like to own it because I had to own it because like Jay and Scott, like they would hang and Neil, like they'd hang out like all night, and they'd be, it'd be like two in the morning. They like show up and be like, "Where's a copy of the stand?" And they just like take it and leave. I don't know where they went to go watch creepers. it. <laughs> like, <laughs> so the stand had an impact like on our life. Like, every summer, hanging out like. Late at night was, you know, a big part of it was, like, watching Stan over and over again. I can quote it nonstop. Yeah. And a big impact that Stan has on us is in our writing. Because mm-hmm. our characters reference the Stan all the time. Especially in the first two books. Yeah. Uh, going back and reading those, I'm like, wow, there's so many references to the Stan. Now, now that our characters have, you know, there have been more stories, they, they don't make as many references to the Stan as much as they were. You but, probably do. Well, yeah, I still do. Without even thinking about it. I mean, I, I even made it. one accidentally today because Jeff invited me over for the podcast and he said, you want to come eat pizza with me? So I made a joke about from the movie, <laughs> yeah. like, I'd rather eat chicken with you in the dark, beautiful. And that's like, what gave me the guy. idea. <laughs> and then I was like, here's what we're doing tonight. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so that's like the history. Do you mean? Oh, what about the impact on your life? So definitely impact on my writing. Definitely a movie I can quote, and I've seen over and over again, time and time again. I can watch it whenever. Someone will be like, "You want to watch the stand?" And be like, "Look at the clock," and be like, "Yeah." Again, enough time before I go to work. Yeah, I just loved it. I loved all the separate characters and how they came together and impacted each other's lives. Um, I loved when I started reading the book that it was such like an opus, and that there was so much thought around just all the character development and how real everything felt. Um, it's just a beautifully written and interesting book. Um, and there's so many characters that didn't even make it into yes. the miniseries that were fascinating. Um, but the characters that did, you know, they just resonate with you. Um, and yeah, it was huge for me. I mean, it absolutely shaped the way that I write. Um, it cemented my feeling that Stephen King you know, is an amazing author and, and, you know, my favorite. Um, and that he just is probably like the voice of American literature to me. Anyway, a lot of people like more snooty stuff, but I think he's, he gets really at the heart of like who America is, um, at our best. Um, and sometimes at our worst, you know, like a Randall flag, like a character like that, yeah. part of the American tradition. Um, but uh, but yeah, and and I lo- I thought the the way that they paced the the TV adaptation was great. I love that Stephen King is in it. He's um, in all the stuff. Yeah, the actors I thought were really really right for the roles. Yeah, we're gonna get to that. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that a little bit. But um, I, I love the music. Um, yeah, the music was great too. Really Blue Oyster Cult just opening the like the whole thing up is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Like and don't dream it's over. I've always mm-hmm. loved that right. Song. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. Yeah, I just... Um, Even though I got really obsessed, for some reason it was really weird, with um, whatever like that like slide guitar song is playing in part four when they're like walking across like Nebraska. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's not an actual song. It's just like, it's a, as long as it is. Because like, I went to like um, The Wall. Remember The Wall? Yeah, The and Wall. And I was like, can I listen to this? Because I just wanted to hear like the the, yeah. the songs. There was no internet, right? There was well, there wasn't internet, but there wasn't like an there wasn't like Napster or anything that you right. Could, like, you couldn't do anything like you can now. Um, and I, I was like, oh, you know, I need to listen to this. And it was only like as long as like the segments were in the movie. Oh yeah, It'd be, like two minutes and fourteen seconds or whatever. Like it wasn't like an actual like song. And I was like, all right, well, whatever. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't spend twenty dollars on the CD. <laughs> I know, I know. That's like the thing that you used to do back in the day. Like you didn't even get to hear the tracks. You would just buy it on faith that it might not suck. And sometimes you're pleasantly surprised, and sometimes you were like, "What the heck did yeah. I just spend my money yep, on? Yep. Now I got to wait a whole two weeks to get another CD, and this one's crap." Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, I hear yeah. you. So let's talk about the TV movie. Uh, really here. So the runtime of this is three three hundred and sixty one minutes. Wow. So almost it is, as many minutes as days in a year. Um, oh, man, three hundred and sixty 
365. Yeah, I'll give you that. All right, yeah, yeah. Right. So basically, it was... It was Doing some math there. <laughs> it was broken apart into the four parts. The book is the four parts. Yep. And um, each part was two hours with commercials. Yep. So it was based, you know, basically like 90 minutes, you know, a, a segment. Because um, it was funny, like your friends who, you know, had the tape... Like, the, my friend who gave me the tape of his tape, he actually edited the commercials out on mine, I remember. Nice. But, you know, I didn't have that for that long before I went and actually bought it, you know. Well, it's so hard because when you, like, push the button to, like, record, like, it took a couple seconds. Yeah. So it was, re- like, you didn't want to do that. No. Nope. Like, now you can just rewind. You Like, even when you're watching linear TV with cable, you can, like, rewind and fast forward a few seconds. You can't, but you couldn't do that back in the day. When I was, like, nah. 11, I would record, um, I would stay up, and I'd watch Headbangers Ball, and I'd record just the videos I wanted to see, and I had, like, mm-hmm. a piece of notebook paper with them all written down. Was on yep. I wonder where those tapes are now. That's My I parents probably threw them out. amazing mixtapes that yeah. I spent, like, hours like on. Like, on the radio? On the radio, and yeah. from my, like, tapes. Like, they didn't play, songs they didn't play other tapes. They didn't play, like, crazy. that stuff on the radio that I was... I was so obsessed. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's anyway. talk about cast because if you've seen yeah, this, stop talking if, about if, my you're, child. <laughs> if you're here and you've gotten this far into the podcast, you've probably seen the stand. And even if you haven't, we're going to. This is still okay. We're still at a non-spoiler thing yeah. here. Um, we're going to talk about how amazing this cast is. Yeah. So we'll start off with Gary Sinise, who's a famous theater actor. Yeah. And then he became sort of a Hollywood movie star. Yeah, um, he went from this to the next thing he did was he was Lieutenant Dan. I know. Yeah. So great in that yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of my, he was on an, Of Mice and Men with John Malkovich, which Yeah, I never saw that one. I heard it was amazing. Really, yeah, yeah good. Um, but I love Gary Sinise. He has like this And like everyone, rugged, he ends up on CSI. Yeah. Is that the one he's on? Yeah, he's on one of the CSIs. Yeah. He's got this like rugged, like normal guy kind of look to him, but he has an intensity to his gaze that I just I love. And he's so... Good as Stu Redman. He really, like, nailed it. He was, yeah. He's, like, he the was heart like, of this movie. He was, you know? I feel like Andrew Lincoln, is that his name? Is that Rick's name? Yes. Yeah. I feel like Andrew Lin- Lincoln, He. I feel like he wants to be Stu Redman. Like, I feel like he's playing Rick as if Rick was Stu. How's that? I, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they both have their high points, but I think Stu just had has a better heart. Yeah. Like, always just has his heart in the right place. Right, like, exactly. Um, about anybody that's around him. Yeah. But I could see that. I think Rick has a good heart, too, but just not... Stu's just awesome. Yeah. All right, uh, next on the list here is... Uh, Jeff can't stand The only him. casting choice I wouldn't have gone with is Molly Ringwald as, uh, as Franny Goldsmith. Um, Actually, like Molly and, Ringwald. I don't. She's so whiny, but I guess the character was so whiny. Franny's kind of whiny. I yeah. always loved like Pretty in Pink and no. Nope. Yeah, I loved Breakfast Club. Was Breakfast that her? Club. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like I loved Molly Ringwald, and she's kind of gingery. Yes, I'm a daywalker myself. That is true. She is very so gingery. I can relate. You know, yeah. there aren't many Hollywood stars that look as pale as I do. Okay. Um, but I thought she was a good Franny. I mean, Franny was a really cool character in the story because she's sort of like a little rebellious, but also like a good girl that loves her dad. She's pregnant, you know, with a guy that she's broken up with, his baby. Yeah. And she's not married. Um, you know, she's not that old. She's like in her 20s um, when all this goes down. And it's a really vulnerable and scary position that she's in. But she's extremely brave. and um, She's like she's just character. pregnant, too. Yeah. yeah. And, it, the, and the world ends. So there's like no medical care. No nope. one can help her. Yeah. She doesn't know what's going to happen and if anybody's even going to be around to hang out with her baby. Um, which, is, yeah, it's really a rough situation to be in. And she she's brave. And she's a cool cool chick and I, I like Molly Ringwald I thought she was pretty fun alright fine agree to disagree you do you fine <laughs> alright and we get to Randall Flags, played by uh, Jamie Sheridan nailed it nailed it he is like so weird and creepy but and, you know like, what like I always feel like the like, dark man should be okay I hate to say it this way but like like McConaughey's version of the dark man that we've seen so far I feel like the dark man should be like sleek and kind of I don't know, sexy. Jamie Sheridan is is not sexy. either one of these things. He kind of his hair looks like it's a feathered mullet. 
Yeah, like, he kind of <laughs> looks like a, like a Michael Bolton hairdo. Yeah, yeah. Got, and he's got like the jean he's jacket. Like jean jacket. Yeah. But he is menacing, though. He is menacing. He's yeah. terrifying. Right. Yeah. But I think, you know, he kind of looks like an everyman. So he can easily, like, gain the trust of, you know, the the troubled members of society that come to him. Because he's not above it all. He's not shiny and slick like a Trump. He's like a he's like a guy that you'd be sitting and having a beer with, right? But then next thing you know, he's like getting you to like kill someone. What and have you really seen him in? He plays like a really nice guy on some cop show that my parents watch, and I was like, "Isn't that Randall Flag?" The only thing I've really can like, think that I ever saw him in was there was this a pilot for CBS called he's on Law and Order. Yeah, that's where I've seen called him. Babylon Fields. Oh yeah, he was um he was Oliver Queen's father on the Arrow. That's right, but he was only in flashbacks. Uh, but anyway, um, so he was in this pilot for Babylon Fields, and it was a zombie show. As CBS did never never pass on, they leaked oh, the pilot online. Yes, yeah, no, that's a how many other? Yeah, so he was on NCIS too, but he was definitely on. on I didn't watch Law Homeland. Order. That's I didn't where watch I saw trauma. him. Trauma. Law and Order, Criminal Intent, yeah. So like, I didn't watch a. I don't. I don't know these shows. Like, these aren't like Chicago Hope. Yeah, yeah. he's been on a lot of. Um, these aren't. That's not my. That's not my. Not your forte. Yeah, this isn't like. No, he does like a lot of yeah sitcoms and, and TV appearances now. But I mean, that's probably where he fits. Whatever. You know? He rocked it, nailed it as Randall Flagg. Yeah, I really, really thought he was good. He was scary. He was like but everybody every man nailed it. That could like blend in in a crowd, but at the same time, like he was scary. Yeah. Like especially when he's with Nadine. Woo! That gave me the creeps. Speaking of Nadine. Yes. Nadine Cross, played by Laura San Giacomo, who's Laura a San really G- great actress. I was thinking of her from that David Spade show. Yep, and she also played, like, a woman that had MS in, like, a Lifetime movie that she was really good, but that's not probably what she's really known for, but anytime I've seen her in a movie, like, she really delivers, and it's a vulnerable, like, real performance, and she was, I thought she was amazing as Nadine. Like, she really sold me on, like, everything that she was going through. She started off really, like, really sexy in the movie, too. Like, she was hot, like... Sexy. Yeah. Like, she finds, like, the rock star guy in New York, Mm -hmm. and he's like, I'm so scared about everything, I don't know what to do. He's like, you know, he's like, come with me if you want to live. And then, and then the Dark Lord's, you know, talking to her, her, he's like, leave him. Yeah, because she always knew that her destiny was to, like, be with someone. To be with the Dark Man. Yeah. Did I say Dark Lord? I meant Dark, Dark Man. Lord, Voldemort. I don't think Voldemort has a wing wang, so I don't know that he was looking to procreate, but Randall Flagg sure was. Yes, he was. His cold seed up in ya. Woo, creepy. That scene's awesome, too. Like, she's all frail and, like, messed up, and she's walking through the desert, and then he just, like, walks out of the fire. Yes! So He's like, yeah, baby, I'm gonna put my seed in you. Yikes. <laughs> all right, anyway, so anyway, like, nailed it. Because yeah. she went from... You know, independent, sexy, sort of independent, but sexy, woman. smart to like, just like, no, everything I do is for him. Even when she shows up before Mother Abigail, who we'll talk about next, when she shows up for her, like, she just looks insane. Like, she's like messing all around. And like, yeah. like Mother Abigail's like, I get, who is this woman? Like, get her, you know, get her away from me kind of thing. Yeah, like, you can just watch her mental state deteriorate. And, and then she becomes so much less herself. Because you know they don't yeah. shoot movies in order. So right. to even show them, like, have her disintegrate over time was just just outstanding yeah and her like last few scenes were just awesome like she, she just jumped, did, yeah. yeah she did such a good job like uh, very very heartbreaking character yeah, yeah. Who, like believed that she had this great destiny but then sort of realizes like she doesn't want any part of it like she's so disgusted i know we did say that become. we weren't spoilerish yet we totally are going that route though so I mean, you really should um but you know once again, it's a movie about good and evil, so obviously right. going to figure it out. Uh, the next character we talk about is Ruby Dee's portrayal of Mother Abigail. Mother Abigail, we quote Mother, Mother Abigail all the time. All the time, Mother Abigail. Um, Ruby Dee, she did pass away in two thousand fourteen. So yeah, um, so she was great. Yeah, she's like the sort of like the holy figure yeah. that, that gathers everybody together on yeah. like, on the Lord's side of the fence, whereas Randall Flagg is like the devil that 
yeah, there's people on the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, but she calls everybody to Hemingford home. Hemingford home. And she's like moving on to Boulder. She's a very very old woman, but she's brave she's and she's smart. Nine years old, and that's still bake my own bread. Yep. Lord, the prunes did the trick. All right, too, too much, too much information, lady. Too much information. No, that but Abigail, she was just awesome. You like wanted really to, cool yes, exactly. And you, you know, you wanted to follow her. Yeah, you, you wanted to. Her everyone's to having these dreams about her, and you want you. Want, I wanted to follow her. You me know, too. I wanted her to like me. If I went and found her, she'd be like, "Well, Kristen, you come on over here and stay away from those rats in the corn." Rats. That's a, that's. There's a story in Volume Two. It's called Rats in the Corn. Yeah, it's yeah. totally like stand homage. Um, Ozzy Davis. He also passed away. Yeah. I don't know when when he passed away. Um, Ozzy Davis playing the judge. Yeah, he was he was great as the judge. He was like such a sweet, like, but really intelligent man. You know that had spent his life thinking about law and justice and fairness, and you know. He ends up having to be extremely brave. Much more developed in the book than um, they didn't. He doesn't have nearly as much screen time as he does have book time. But um, he's still important. He's still important, he's still... and you still, yeah. When he talks, you know, you you want to listen. Yeah. Um, Miguel, Miguel also passed away. Miguel yes. Ferrer passed away. He plays oh, Lloyd. Lloyd's, Lloyd's character, such a great cause, character, because Lloyd is he is evil. He is a bad man, right? But he has to become an even worse man to. Um, to save himself. Yeah. Because he's stuck in this jail cell and there's no way of getting out. Yeah, and the world's ended. Yeah. There's no one coming back to help him. He's starving and the dark man shows up and is like, hey. I'll give you a chance, but you gotta follow me. You gotta follow me. So, you know, and you see Lloyd still struggling with the level of, of evil that he's going to accept. And, you know... It's it's a fascinating character study to sort of watch. Even at the end, people are like, "Oh, we're we're leaving. We're just gonna go." Yeah. He's like, "I, I can't." Yeah, I mean, he's loyal, but you know, he picked the wrong person to be loyal to. Yeah, he did. But you know, there's he's admirable in some ways, though. Like, he's a very interesting character. You can't just discount him as being like despicable. No, like, there's he's got layers. And and I didn't watch. You know, I didn't see trait. Twin Peaks until later. Until, you know, so I, the, this was the first thing I ever saw him in that I know yeah, of. Right. Maybe there was something in the 80s I saw him in before. Yeah, he's been in like he's so, been so many, many things, things since He then. sort of fades in the background on a lot of things, yeah. but I always remember his portrayal of but Lloyd. I, yeah, because I always immediately think of him as evil, and I don't know if I've ever seen him play another bad guy. Yeah, it's true. But immediately I think of him as evil because it's the first thing I saw him in. Yeah, true. Uh, Sometimes people get a typecast. Yeah. Corn uh, and Nemec. Corn and Nemec. Corn and Nemec. Parker Lewis, yes. who couldn't lose. I remember Parker Lewis can't lose. I didn't watch that much, you know, but I do remember that show. Um, now he's on like Lifetime. Last time I saw him, he was like on The Ghost Whisperer. Whoa. Oh, jeez, really? Yeah, I was like, oi, what are you doing on this? Yipes. Harold is an interesting character I because. I love Harold Lauder's character. Harold is. He's, he's stuck with the one girl. That he wants the most in the world, and she's still not interested in him. And as far as she knows, in the beginning, that he is the last man on earth, yeah, and she like still that, won't bang him. Yeah, it's like that scenario, like yeah, just like really putting yourself out. Harold, if you were the last man on earth, I still wouldn't bang you. And hey, guess what? Won't. Boom! <laughs> That's what happened. The only thing I thought Cordenemic did a great job in this role, but don't mess with my disco. But um, Harold is so much more hideous in the books. Like he's kind of like a fat, and fat slob. Pimply and yeah, pimply, messy yeah. and stinky and sweaty and like trying to be attractive, but he's not. Like and thinks he's cool, but he's not. And like Coronemic, you know, he can still pass as a decent looking guy, even though he was trying to look gross. Like he wasn't really as gross as I pictured Harold being. But um, but yeah, I mean Harold in the beginning could kind of be a good guy. But he just gets so angry and twisted. It's Stu, mostly. Yeah, because he just lusts after this woman that doesn't want him. Right. And instead of finding someone that does want him, you know, or, or liking himself enough to realize that you shouldn't go after people that don't like you, he just, you know, wants to get even and, and is angry at everyone. So yeah. it's probably like a lot of void men, <laughs> unfortunately. 
but um Matthew Fewer Fewer's trash can man killed it nailed it like this is one of my favorite characters too because he's so much fun to watch and he's and been in every he had fun playing yes. that role he's been in every sci-fi show in the last if you don't know who we're talking about he's been he was on eureka he was on orphan black he was on um he was in everything uh wasn't he was he max hedrum no he wasn't no yeah uh, i think he was was he i think he might have been i mean, I mean I he looks just like that dude now that you say it but he's definitely been in like a bunch of other. You he know, has been in like game. every single. Yeah, like yeah, he was definitely in. Uh, yeah, he was Max Hedrum. I was yeah, right. Yeah, see. I mean, I shrunk like, the kids. He played the neighbor. He was in the Watchmen. Yeah, Timeless. Yeah, he was in the Watchmen. He was like the bad guy. Um, librarians, I avoided that stuff. Falling Skies, which uh, oh, what a terrible ending. <laughs> so anyway, oh yeah, Intelligence. That could have been a better show too. Bag of Bones, which is another Stephen King. Um, so anyway, on episodes of Supernatural, the trash can man, man is is an interesting character because this is just some bedwetting, freeloading, you know, kind of nut nut job neighborhood nut jobs. Totally, yeah, like somebody that that had you know probably developmental issues and was also like mentally unstable, but never got treatment or help, so was ostracized from society, and he just always has these voices of his tormentors in his head. Um, you know, like, everybody saying to him, like, hey, Trash, did you steal old Lady Semple's pension check? Yeah, and we actually have, yeah, we we have a character, character. old Lady Semple is the the trailer park supervisor, which we don't even know if that's an actual position, but we base that off of the trailer park boys. Yeah, exactly. So old Lady Semple is is a character, (laughs) like, we've given her a son, and a backstory through time travel and yes. all sorts of things. We we have. It's not intended to be the same person. No, just, absolutely it's not. An homage to it's her an name. homage to the name. Yes, yeah. this is true. Because we always would joke around about old lady Semple's pension checks and wet in the bed. Yeah, with the bed again, trash. How and about then he would say bumpy bumpy bump. He was always singing crazy songs, starting fires. That was his thing. But it's a f- creepy, fun, interesting character. Although, kind of blameless. I, I know, like, he chooses to help the dark side, but I don't know that he really understood what he was actually doing. I, I don't know that, you know, you could hold him to the same standard as, as some of the other characters because he was so not with reality. Yeah. Uh, Adam, Adam Stork. Stork. So I, I've never everyone. seen him in anything. Me neither. I think he, he was, like, disappeared off the face of the earth after he was, he he was pretty Larry. good as Larry. I liked him singing as Larry. Songs and he singing songs. charming. Bob Dylan in front of... Yeah. Burning Des Moines, yeah. Playing his guitar, wearing his jeans, you know, hooking up with the ladies. He was Ray, charming. Yeah, he was great. Ray Walston um, is an, is a phenomenal actor. Oh, yeah. Everyone sure. will know, he played Glenn in this, Everyone um, Trekkies will know him as Boothby, being um, the groundskeeper of uh, Starfleet Academy, who has always given advice to all of the captains, the great captains. He was awesome. From, you know, from Picard to Janeway and Cisco and everybody. Um, so that's cool. He was definitely on a ton of episodes of um, The Twilight Zone. Oh yes, yes he was. And my favorite, my favorite Martian. Martian. Yeah, he was in like a lot of like yeah like sixties TV shows and things. Commish. Um, but he's a really great actor. He has a really distinctive voice. Yes, a very distinctive voice. Um, and he was so awesome as Glenn, like, with his dog and how he was painting. And he still, like, found a way to be hopeful and happy um, after the world had ended. Like, he still had his beer, you know, keeping it cool in, in the river, playing with his dog, painting. Like, he really made it sort of an idyllic life out of a bad situation. Uh, what I loved about that... Um, what about that statement is when Stu shows up, like, Glenn is painting this terrible picture... And Sue goes, shouldn't you be painting with your glasses on? <laughs> but he doesn't care. He's just really enjoying his life. Even though, like, you know, the world's ended, he still found a way to, like, be happy, which is kind of lovely. Um, yeah, yeah, moving on. Uh, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Only speaking in the end. Yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. Rob Lowe job. Yeah, so Rob, Rob Lowe was kind of in a rebuilding phase in his career at this point anyway. Right. Um, Before ha- people realized yeah. how funny he could yeah. be, I think. He wasn't. I really didn't like Rob Lowe much until he showed up in Parks and Rec. 
Yeah, I didn't like him until he, like, realized that he could be funny. Yeah. Because I felt like when he was, like, being, like, a heartthrob, he just annoyed the crap out of me. Yeah, like, me too. Same thing. up in the 80s, I was Twinsies. like, oh, please. Twinsies. But now, like, he's really funny, and I actually like him on, like, Ridiculous Lifetime movies when he's being, like, oh, over the top ah. and, like, super dramatic, like, and when he's being, like, funny. Um, he's, like, he's really funny, and he was, he was good as, as um, Nick. I liked him. Peter, I did a good job. Peter Van Norton, he played Ralph, um... Ralph was a, a, nice a lot, a lot less. Yeah. yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. Like he was like the Police Academy movies, Murder She Wrote. There's Ralph a was kind of like stuff. an he's everyman. Still Good for him. Like a, yeah, he's lost yeah. a lot of weight. Since like the big then. guy in the jeans and the plaid mm-hmm. shirt that just is kind and friendly and wants to help everybody out. I thought uh, the Kelly Overbay who played Dana. I always thought she was really hot. When I was 14. Bill Fagerback killed yes. this. Yes, yes, he does. Colin. That's what I was looking for. I loved that character so much. Because, um, like, my Uncle Ed was was mentally handicapped, um, and he he's one of my favorite people in the world, um, and he had that sort of, like, sweet sort of childlike effect um, that I thought that uh, Bill really captured in um, M-O-O-N. This Bill's Tom Cullen. I just loved it. I loved his relationship with Nick. I loved how hopeful he was and childlike, and, you know, that's a hard role to play. Yeah. It's very vulnerable and it could come off like awful and corny, but it was it was done really nicely here. So and uh, Shawnee Smith, um, God, was she creepy? She she's did a creepy. Great job. She's always crazy though. She's pretty crazy. And I remember. I wonder if she's like cuckoo Star bananas. She was life. on that show like Ted Danson, where he was the asshole yeah, doctor. Yeah, she was like and the she was idiot. crazy. Yeah, the crazy idiot receptionist. And she was she's also in all those Saw movies. Yes, yeah, she is. That's where I'm thinking of her her too. And Stephen King, two episodes. There's a yeah. part where Stephen King, where they're talking about, they're clearing out the church. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who my dad once played basketball against. He played a guy that was yelling in the streets about the end times. That the dark man killed. Yeah. Um, so Stephen King, what I was saying about Stephen King was, he. I love how he delivers his own lines. That's one yeah. thing. Because that cordwood, like, think of the bodies as cordwood. Like, that's his, that's like, that's like straight from the book. So he's like, he's like, Deliberately, he's like saying his own line. It's it just outright, just brilliant. What I'm looking for on this list, and there's, and there's so many more people to go over. We are over time as it is for this podcast. Yeah, we just wanted to highlight some of like the main characters. That, the like, guy who plays Franny's dad, and I, I can't think of his name. Yeah, he's so he's lovely He's Dr. Too. Here he is, Ken Jenkins. He is Dr. Kelso from Scrubs. Yes, yeah. Yes, and I didn't realize that until many, many years later. You and Nicole and I watched The, the Stand. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, it's Dr. Kelso. And the other doctor that like harasses Stu Redman all the time in the hospital. Oh, he's he the, dad the dad from Alf. Alf. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably down here. Like when you get into like the one episode, oh, Kathy people. Bates. I forgot. Yeah, Kathy Bates. Yeah, Kathy Bates is the radio announcer. Yes, yeah, she is. She was great in that too. Smoking cigarettes on the air. Yeah, and she was like giving the attitude to the government. And even when they came in, they were going to shut her down. She or kept fighting. That yeah, was pretty cool. That was great. Yeah, she was awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's let's skip recapping the whole movie it was we were going to do because there's just not enough time and let's fine. move on to our final phase um because we're at like 45 minutes yeah, yeah that's so fine. i mean i want i want you guys to go watch it yourselves yeah. you don't need to hear from us what what happens mm-hmm. read the book and go watch it and then yeah. let us know what you think because we love it so we're going to move into our final phase of the podcast now and that is going to talk about all the reboot drama that has has gone around this now i searched several sites um and i found a lot of the same information on several sites so I like to think that what I'm reporting on here is accurate. Yes. It's um, not fake news. But, at least it's not intended to be. But I'm reading it off the internet, and I'm not delivering it personally. So if it's wrong, don't, like, come to my house. I was about to give you your address. Jerk! <laughs> <laughs> with torches and, and, and angry, angry protest. Why would they come to your house with torches and angry protest over Stephen King news? It's not like you're talking about Trump de dum Who? Who? Not now. I'm sorry. No, I'm not going to talk about him in general. I was just going to say that he he took Stephen King off his Twitter feed. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. topical. Yeah. He, he's terrible. All right. But anyway, yeah. So, in 2011 was the first time that we really heard 
rumors about them redoing the stand, which I gotta say, I'm really opposed to because I love the version that's out now. It's very hard to redo things when they did a good job. The Especially first time. when it's, you know, 361 minutes. Plus, we so talked in about 2000, this purchase, like, format wise, right? Because yeah. a lot of times they want to make it into, like, a, a theater, a theatrical theater. movie. But I think there's just too much going on that, to, like, you'd have to cut out so much to make that two hours. It just, it's really hard to translate a story that that's complicated. I felt like. Unless you did, like, two movies or three movies, but even still, like, that's not the same experience. I felt like when the Hobbit movies were out, there was a lot of talk about. What other trilogies and big, you know, big big stories can we tell with multiple movies? You know, we're out of Hunger Games books. We're out of, Harry. you know, Lord of the Rings. We're out of Harry. You know, we, we need something that people are going to keep going to the theater for. Because the, we went to the theater to see those things. Now I only go to, to the theater to see Marvel movies and Star Wars. So Disney, here's all my money. Yeah, I know. Well, I heard they're going to do Justin Cronin. Yeah, books. that's that's also in development hell, too. We can talk about that that's offline. Hard. I've been yeah. reading about that. I caught some of that, too. So anyway, what I was saying was, in 2011, David Yates and Stephen Close, they were going to reboot it. And you may know these guys. Stephen Close has written every single Harry Potter movie. Yeah. He's translated all of them. And he's done... He did a better job as each one went on. You know, I don't know what happened with Azkaban. I still really like that one. It's a great-looking movie. It's just like... Where's the Where's the story? Like, where's the book, people? All right, but um, and David Yates, he directed. I want to say he directed Order of the Phoenix. Um, no, he directed Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Not Order, but he directed Half Blood Prince, and then both of the last one, and uh, he, both Deathly Hallows, and he directed Fantastic Beasts. Yes. And Steam Clubs also works on Fantastic Beasts. Yes. They decided to work on Fantastic Beasts instead of working on The Stand. I agree. That was a good idea. And then 2000, so then that kind of went away for a while. 2013 rolled around and Ben Affleck's name was attached to this. So we were all amped with, with because, you know, he He's was a great director. The town and um, Argo. Argo. Argo was, yeah, Argo. Argo. Yourself, yeah. yeah, that was like fresh there. So like we were like really amped because Ben Affleck was doing great stuff with movies. Um, yeah, and then As it a was director, like I still think he's awesome. He's not a terrible actor. He's not a terrible actor, but he picks weird movies, and he's not happen. my favorite. No, he's not. But he decided that the accountant though. Um, ben Affleck decided to go do Dawn of Justice, right? Which. Uh, was a terrible movie. Yes. Yeah, but it was it, the Batman stuff wasn't bad, but um, and then he was going to he's doing another Batman movie. Batman without the Justice League. I mean, I guess if someone asked me to be Batman, <laughs> it would be hard to say no. That's a fun role. I'm Batman. I, I get it. So then it was like I, I found on two different sites that it said that Ben Affleck said that he recommended and would pass the reins off to Scott Cooper. I can't figure out who this person is because there's. I think it's this guy who acted in a bunch of movies, like including like Awesome Powers. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, bro. I don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's good nobody handed I mean, you anything. Again, you were handed something like that. I was not handed anything like that, so I can't like put yeah. you down. I just right. I just I'm sorry. I don't I don't know I don't know who you are. Uh, he eventually turned it down too. Um, and then there came some other uh, some other rumors were were going around then, and it was that McConaughey was going to play Stu, and that Christian Bale was going to play Randall Flag. Now that to me really feels like, and this was even I thought this even I remember thinking this in 2014 that that was backwards. I thought that Christian Bale would play a better Stu. Interesting. And McConaughey would play a better Randall Flagg. And then obviously... McConaughey can be very dark. McConaughey is playing... Chicken movie. Playing the dark man in in the Dark Tower, which is... It is is Randall Flagg. Yeah. It is the same guy. Yeah. Looks cool. But, um, yeah, I remember when the Ben Affleck one was was bubbling around, that Entertainment Weekly did, like, like an article online about, like, who they thought would... Like somebody did, like who they thought could yes, play the cast, exactly. and they wanted like Eminem to terrible. play Larry, and I was like, oh god! Like all the choices just seemed so horrible to me. I was like, no, I don't want them doing anything to the one that already existed because I just can't. It's kind of funny though because Larry's character and the way that song was written for the '90s movie, it just it was so VH1 in the '90s. That yeah. song, and like it's such like nowadays, it like African American music that some white dude appropriated. <laughs> 
nowadays, like a, a, a Michael Bolton sounding song like that would not would not go anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, 2015, Showtime claims that they would start production in 2016 of an eight part miniseries. Josh Boone, who's the director of Fault in Our Stars, uh, to write, to direct. That movie was amazing. Yeah. And that book was good, too. Yeah. So someone that can adapt a book and, and make it something yeah. that, you know, is meaningful and thoughtful. Could have been good. And he's a big Stephen King fan. They said that he carries a copy of The Stand around with him. Well, it's an awesome and book. And he's currently doing to. a Stephen King adaptation for the cinema. For Lisa's story. Yes. That's a great book. That's a book about marriage. I never heard of that one. Yeah, I read it and I gave it to my mom. It's he wrote it, it's about a woman whose husband passed away, but he's still like haunting her. And like yeah, it's it's a really cool book, but it's all about like marriage and and what you remember of your relationships and um so that's cool. I'm glad they're doing something with that. And now he's currently shooting New Mutants. So we're gonna see what's going on with New Mutants. Uh I don't even know. I don't think it's Alpha Flight. I don't know which new mutants. I don't know what direction they're taking, but because now we have those Canada mutants. That's that. That would be Alpha Flight. Okay. So that's going to be something. Yep. That's going to be something, and that's going to be the future, right? Because Logan was what? Yeah. Twenty thirty nine. Yeah. So that's going to be the future, right? Um, very cool. So in two thousand sixteen, Showtime officially put the stand on hold. So this is last year. They right. put the stand on hold, but. If you go to the stand page in IMDb, Josh Boone's name's there, and it was updated this year, 2017. There's no cast. It just says that he'll be doing screenplay and directing it, and Stephen King, Stephen King obviously wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Well, maybe they wanted to focus all the energy on It, which is being rebooted, and that's coming out, so maybe they want people to see that. And, and that's going to be a theatrical movie. Yes. Well, the other it was a miniseries, right? Yeah. Again, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, it looks awesome and scary in the ads that I've seen, but again, like it is such a huge book, and there's so much about the characters that you learn. They they didn't even cover all of it in the miniseries they did. Um, To me, the stand has four distinct parts, though. You could do four two-hour movies, but if the first movie bombs, then you're never going to finish it. That's yeah. why the, why, um, what's the dystopian one that I really don't like? Um, the me, no, the, what the heck was that one? Yeah, with Triss. Yeah, that one's gonna be on TV, the last one. Yeah, because yeah. everybody totally lost interest. <laughs> friends that read the book, and they're watching the trailer, and they're like, what the hell was that? <laughs> Fail. I mean, you have to, if you're going to adapt a book, you have to have people that are all really on board and get what the book is about and can bring it to life in a way that resonates with the fan base. When you and that's read not easy. a popular book, you have to please everybody, you know? Like, I often wonder what would ha- I would never have read Fight Club before seeing Fight Club, you know? Right, I never heard of Chuck Palenia before then. Well, it was his first book, it was a break there, but... I uh, I just want to know like what would that have been like had I have watched something that read the book before I choke, before I watched that one which I didn't think was adapted that well even though I love Sam Rockwell and Angelica I want to give that another just, go we only ever watched it once it wasn't that great though no, because they cut out so many clear so many big parts of that like the snails that, and yeah that book was one of my favorite things I ever read Chuck's great it the was, only one I like better than Chuck was Diary I know I still have your copy of that. I'm so bad. It's your white whale. Diaries, your white whale. Anyway, we're completely off a tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So anyway, um, until next week, make sure you go to our website, prisondad.com, and you look at our podcasts and our free stories and our books. And And make sure you watch The Stand. Yeah, watch The Stand. Take a day off from work. Or a week. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Let us know what you think. Stop going to work and watch movies. Yeah. The economy comes to a grinding halt after two assholes in Pennsylvania told everybody to stop working. Just one more episode of Battlestar. Just one more. (laughs) Until next week, we're going to go eat some chicken in the dark, beautifuls. Random Flag signing off.